0: can be seated. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 if you didn't already do that as I grab my podium. So good to be with you this morning to be able to see Some of you and um, to join with others online. So great that you're here with us Um, in whatever form. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, it's great to again just to welcome you. And um, we are continuing this morning in our study on um, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And So, before we begin there, and as we talked about last week, uh, we began that this is a teaching of Jesus on the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Jesus began his ministry... Back in chapter 4, verse 17, by calling the, the people to himself and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here, bringing the kingdom to bear and, and making it present and known in real life. Well, as we have just shared, and some of you have known this for a while or have been leading up to this moment or this season of our, in the life of our church, and perhaps if you're online with us especially, this might be the very first time that you're tuning in uh, to um, worship with us. Um, we are celebrating today the gift of God to deliver this property that we are gathering in to us. And it is a day of rejoicing and celebration for us because it is a major milestone in the life of our church. Um, March 14th was the first Sunday that we gathered as a church in 2014 many years ago. And August 18th will now be a new date in the life of our church that we celebrate and we remember God's faithfulness to us. But as we think about the kingdom of God and realize as Jesus is teaching, he's talking about an eternal kingdom and really the only eternal kingdom. We have to keep this place in proper perspective and realize that it is a gift of God, but it is in a sense... It's an embassy. Some of you are familiar with embassies. If you've traveled the world, you know that as you see the American flag in a foreign country and you can step into that place, that embassy, and you receive, as an American citizen at least, you receive all of the blessings of being a citizen in that of this nation as you go into that place. When you step out of there, all the laws of that land apply and you have to deal with all of those. But in the embassy is a place of rest. Well, this property and this building, we pray and hope would be an embassy of the kingdom of God. It would be a place where the people could gather and could enjoy the fruits of God's kingdom, the joy of God's kingdom, the rest of God's kingdom. But in all of those things, know that we are here. This is a temporary place. And so as much as we love this property and this land and this building, and we desire to put down deep roots to minister to our community from it, um, it will one day be turned to dust. And so we must always keep our eyes on the eternal kingdom of God. And so we celebrate today, and we just give God praise and thanksgiving for the gift of this embassy, of this place that we can minister from, uh, but we want to keep that in mind. As I say, before we begin opening into the scriptures, I do want to just take one moment. It would be wrong. Um, scripture instructs us to give honor where honor is due, and just to thank so many of our team that have really worked tirelessly to make this all possible. And so our elders and our trustee team have spent a lot of time in prayer and work to make this happen, and so we want to acknowledge them and just thank them uh, for all that they have done, and um, specifically within our trustee team, uh, Amy Fagan, one of our trustees, has um, kind of been our quarterback on all things financial and otherwise, and so we just want to thank uh, God for the gift that she is to our church and how she has served tirelessly, again, to make um, this all happen, Um, and so, and then all of you who have given and prayed um, and obviously been invested financially and otherwise um, to see this happen. We just want to thank God for your faithfulness um, to be a part of this. And I want to just encourage you after we break from gathering here. And if you're online with us, perhaps sometime during this week, you might make a, a pilgrimage here to the property. But uh, find some time with your family, either in the building or just go out into the vineyard somewhere. And just take some time to give God thanks. Just gather your family together and praise God uh, for uh, The gift of this place and uh, let's just let the worship of him just sort of echo throughout the weeks um, as we um, move in and and take uh, possession of this great property with that said as we said Matthew chapter 5 Jesus is teaching on his kingdom. And the entire message of this sermon, this is Jesus' sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, a sermon delivered as he's walked around. The disciples have been gathered. He makes his way up to the mountainside, and there's a crowd that begins to gather around him as well. And he begins to teach, and he delivers this sermon, and the sermon is all about the kingdom of God. Because, as we talked about last week when we opened this uh, series, that they were expecting, that the Jews of the day were expecting a king, a king of of what we would think of in a kingly sense. A king to show up and to um, execute his rule, to deliver them from Roman rule in that moment in history, and set up this earthly kingdom. Where he would be king, the Messiah would be king, and all of his people would be able to have, really in a sense, their own authority and freedom. They were looking really out for what would give them the most blessing. Not necessarily the world, but just they themselves. And so Jesus comes and he says, I have come to bring about the kingdom of God. But it is not what you were expecting. It's not the kingdom that you thought of. And so when we think about the kingdom, as we said, there's this universal kingdom of God that everything that we look at, everything on this property and everything as we go anywhere we are, we are under the rule of the sovereign hand of God. God is over all things and therefore everything is his kingdom. But when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking here of the narrower kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom which you will enter through him and him alone. Where he is ruler. And it is a kingdom of life as opposed to the rest of the world, the broader kingdom of God. A kingdom of death. And so within this kingdom, within the kingdom of God, that is where life exists. So there are tangible, there's real expressions and demonstrations that life exists within the kingdom of God. And those demonstrations and what it looks like, as we just heard Frank read for us, the the Beatitudes, as we'll explain that a little bit and get into more detail on that in a moment. But these expressions are expressions of what does life in this kingdom look like? What are the evidences that life exists in someone's life? And again, we are thinking in a spiritual sense here, the spiritual sense of life, everlasting life brought about by God. You know, scientists have been searching for decades on Mars, looking for evidences of life. We've sent the rovers there and they're constantly searching and looking for life on Mars. And there's been, uh, as and I'm, I'm no um, expert on this subject matter, but there's been some small evidences of life. They found water and some other things and molecules and very, very minuscule evidences of life. They found traces of it, but uh, to this point, nothing substantial, I regret to inform you if you're really excited about the martians those that live that they have not yet discovered that people but here on earth there is abundance of life there is trees and human beings and animals and all of the other sorts of things well this sense is a good illustration because outside of the kingdom of god there might be things that look like life outside of christ's rule we ourselves walk around As Ephesians has taught us, walking dead in our trespasses, but we look alive. There's evidences of life. But when we are brought into the kingdom of God through Christ, we have died with Christ and been raised to new abundant life. That is where we know as Christians, real life exists. Abundant life. And the evidence that would testify to that, the evidence that if the scientists were investigating spiritual life, they would say, this is how I know life exists in you, is what Jesus describes as the Beatitudes, what he says about the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitudes is a a big word, or an uncommon word at least, some of us we wouldn't use that word, but ultimately it means supreme blessedness. That's what it means. That's how the word beatitude is defined. And as Jesus announces his kingdom and begins teaching and he's performed miracles, he comes to this moment in time where he says, let me tell you, let me define for you what the kingdom looks like and what people, those who are members of the kingdom, look like. They are supremely blessed. And yet, as we walk around and live our lives As supremely blessed people who have been raised to life in Christ, we realize and know that there are pains and suffering and challenges and pandemics and economic strife and all of the like. These realities that we live in. And so the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing for his people then, as the Jews heard this being taught, they would understand we were looking for this kingdom And you're bringing about this kingdom of God that we don't really understand what even you're talking about right now, Jesus. And we see the evidence of our life is we've got Roman oppressors. We've got pain. We're poor. We're impoverished. And so there's this balancing. There's this counter. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this is what your life looks like in a tangible sense. This might be the physical representation of your life, but let me explain to you how supremely blessed you are if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And let me call call you to put your hope in those things. So he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He talks about being poor, impoverished. Now, of course, he's not using the word there talking about money, but it's it, it brings about the mind, their reality. They were poor. Yours will be the kingdom of heaven. It looks as if like things are really, really bad. You don't understand how great they are because you're a citizen of this kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. In this life, yes, you are mourning. But let me assure you that you are blessed because you will be comforted with a comfort that this world will never be able to match. Blessed are those who are meek. And meek is an interesting word. It's hard for us to find. And we're going to spend an entire sermon on that in just a few weeks. But while you are meek, and it looks as if things are not strong for you, you will inherit the earth. These future things. And he goes on and on. But he's describing there's this balancing act. Yes, Jesus is saying, I understand. I, I empathize. I realize that things to you don't look well. Let me call you to remember. That you, through me, are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And put your hope in that. And as we live out these things, as they become markers for our life, those markers change the way we view the world. And so we come to the first of these beatitudes. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you weren't with us last week, you will hear me interchange kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Matthew likes to use the word kingdom of heaven because Jews were very, very cautious about using the name God, using his name. And so he would not ever speak that. But kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, those are interchangeable ideas. They intend to be the same thing. And so yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is the first beatitude, this is the first marker, the first reality of someone who is a citizen of the kingdom, because all the others will really fall under this one. There's no real way to be consistent and live out all of the other beatitudes if this first identifier is not true of you. And again, I want us to begin to think of these things rather than thinking of them as tasks to be done. Let us think of them as markers for our life, identifiers of our life. You are supremely blessed because you are poor in spirit. There are certain things that have to come first, and this is one. We have to be poor in spirit. You know, a marriage that is not committed to Christ will fail to bear the fruit that God would intend That has to be first. There has to be a first there in order for it to really be all that God would intend. Children who don't know what it means to worship God will really struggle to follow God. Sometimes we get these things out of order and we think, let me figure out a way to cause or lead my children to follow God. But they've never experienced a heart of worship and we've never taught them to worship God. There has to be a first. And Jesus had a purpose in the way he taught, in the order which he said these things. And his purpose was to demonstrate that the kingdom, citizenship in the kingdom is primary. It's the ultimate. So Jesus answers a question that surely would have been going through the disciples' minds as they think to themselves, Well, you say that we are to repent and believe and that the citizen or the kingdom is, is here. Well, what what does that even mean? What does it mean to be a citizen of this new kingdom? You know, to be a citizen of this nation, you have to take classes and agree to uphold our laws, and you go through an entire process of becoming a citizen of the United States of America. So how is citizenship in the kingdom obtained? Who is in the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is... The poor in spirit will be citizens of God's kingdom, of this new kingdom. This isn't something we get to look at as optional. Again, our tendency is to read these Beatitudes. If you've grown up in church, if you've ever spent any time, perhaps even studying these, but if you've just read them or heard them, perhaps I expect you've at least heard these before, you probably have perhaps interpreted them in a sense as the New Testament version of the Ten Commandments. This is, I know we're supposed to do all the Ten Commandments, but now Jesus gave this new teaching. We're just supposed to do these things. We're supposed to be poor in spirit. We're supposed to be meek, and we're supposed to mourn, and all of these sorts of things. And that's not what Jesus is saying here when he teaches this. What he's saying is, this is what the reality of someone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God, the reality is, is that they are poor in spirit. This isn't an optional idea. This isn't something we just sort of add on to our lives. We don't become Christians and then begin to follow the Beatitudes. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you my kingdom is here. Let me welcome you into it and tell you what it looks like to become a citizen of this kingdom. And so we can begin to ask ourselves, are we citizens of this kingdom? Are our lives marked by this? And that begins, are we poor in spirit? Have we been at some point in our life poor in spirit? This is the prerequisite to citizenship in the kingdom of God. And he starts here because it matters most. The Jews didn't understand what this new kingdom was going to look like. And so he's trying to help them grasp it. They came and they said, we are citizens of God's kingdom because of Abraham's promise. And Jesus is saying, no, let me tell you who ultimately will be a citizen of the kingdom. Sometimes we can also be tempted. I'm an American. I grew up in the South. I went to church every Sunday since I was born. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, that's not what makes you a citizen of my kingdom. What makes you a citizen of my kingdom is that you are poor in spirit. And so what does this mean to be poor in spirit? There is no one in the kingdom of God who is not or has not at one point in their life been poor in spirit. Of course, we hear the word poor, and that is a little bit understandable to us. It becomes more, or at least it seems more simple in terms of our ability to process what it might mean. Because we understand to be poor would mean to be lacking, to be destitute, to have need. And so what Jesus is saying is that the citizens of God's kingdom are emptied of themselves. They are emptied of their, their own lives. And so when he says... That the poor in spirit are those who would inherit the kingdom. He's defining an attitude towards yourself. And guess what? We know everything in this world speaks a different message, tells us opposite of that truth. I picked on a few phrases last week, and here's a few more. You're worth it, you're enough, believe in yourself, follow your heart. And like the statements from last week, I don't believe those are inherently evil. They're not spoken out of malice or anything like that. But it just tells us, it demonstrates the subtlety of the enemy who tries to lead us astray and shift our minds and cause our minds to think differently than they ought to. This is why, friends, we have to be cautious. Sometimes I know if you have been around our church for a little while from the beginning, you will realize that I am very particular about words. Words that we use to describe or to articulate something and the way that we use words. And the reason is, is because words matter. And what we believe and what we say and what is repeated in our ears over and over and over and over again can begin to influence us. So when we say follow your heart, do I think that that's malicious or we're trying to say that you should follow your heart directly into evil because that's where Satan is leading you. That's not what I believe anyone thinks. But the temptation or the reality is that when we follow our own hearts, if we think critically about that statement, we know at our core we are sinful people. Our hearts will lead us astray. And so the enemy allows these little whispers to sort of perpetrate through our world and to become part of our nomenclature and just the way that we speak. And they tempt us to forget that to be poor in spirit is to empty ourselves of everything and have a right attitude about ourselves. To be poor in spirit is for me to say, no, I will choose to not follow my heart because I know the depravity of my own heart. No, I do not believe I am enough because I have nothing to offer. I need Jesus every moment of every day. No, I don't believe that I am worth it. I wasn't worth it. And yet Jesus in his abundant grace and mercy came and died for me. And so that's why I worship him. This is the truth that I know. But the enemy whispers these things in our ears and convinces us of these things. And if we believe the opposite, if we don't recognize our reality, if we don't rightly think of ourselves and we don't become poor in spirit, understanding that we are in complete destitute, completely destitute without Christ, then we will never come into the kingdom of God because we will always be finding just enough. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in this situation where you are in looking for something. And you might find yourself, when I was a little boy, <clears throat> I had a, just a box of Legos. They would all start out perfectly and according to their, you know, purchase and with the right item. But at the end, you know, mom got frustrated with them, so they just ended up being a tub. And so I'd be searching around. I'd be trying to build whatever I had in my mind, and I might be trying to rebuild the item, the, you know, the the Star Wars spaceship that was supposed to be, or the race car, or whatever it might be. And I'd be looking around. I'd be looking for that three by two block that I needed to finish this. And I would just, you know what? I'll just use the two by two and the one by two, and I'll piece it together and make it work. I'll just find a little bit, and, and it's just enough to keep me going, to keep me building, and keep me going along. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves as we, if we don't understand our, that, that we are in complete need of Christ, we continue to try and just look for something. Let me find just a little piece here. Let me find something there, and it and it strings us along, and we never get to that point where we recognize that we are without anything that we are completely impoverished without Christ. And until we get to that point that we understand that we are completely impoverished without Christ, we will continue to try and fulfill and sustain and figure out a way through this life without him. And sadly, for so many people in the world and so many, including people who call themselves Christians, they're going about their daily lives looking for sustenance, looking for the ability to just keep moving along, just putting just another quarter tank in every little stop along the way. Let me just make it a little bit further in life. And they never empty their tank and just say, Jesus, I have nothing. I need you. You are my only hope. It's only after being completely emptied of ourselves, that we can be filled. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you are going to be a citizen of my kingdom, to come into my abundant life, I, will, I have done it all. But you have to empty yourself. You have to stop striving to do it on your own. And this is why, this is why it's so hard because to empty ourselves would run counter to everything that our world teaches us almost from birth again we're we're taught to make much of ourselves to stand up for ourselves to be bold to be right to know that we are in the right and to keep pressing forward rather jesus says no to be a citizen of my kingdom. Yours will be the kingdom of God when you empty yourself and you become nothing so that I can fill you with my abundant life. The world says we should think very highly of ourselves. That we should elevate ourselves and do all that we can to ensure that the world knows who we are. This is what social media, why it's such a pariah in our society. Because it feeds this very basic need to make much of ourselves and to try to do all that we can to ensure that the world knows who we are. And so it feeds that. And it feeds that inherent desire within our flesh, that sinfulness. And we just promote and promote and promote and promote and promote. And we can never get to this point where we realize that we have nothing the natural man thinks of himself often, promotes himself often, believes in himself. The Christian, the citizen of the kingdom of God, empties himself and says, all I have is Christ. He is enough. He is all I need. And this is what it means to be poor in spirit. And if you're thinking to yourself, this is about personality, well, my friend, they're, they're better at being poor in spirit. They're, they're just a humbler, gentler, sweeter type of person. And there's a reality that there are some of us that struggle or have more challenge in this area to empty ourselves. But this is not at all about a personality. This is a condition of the soul. This is recognition of who we are. It can't be false humility or weakness. This is what Jesus calls us to as he begins this message saying, this is what a citizen looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You may feel as if you have nothing. That nothingness might have been brought about by the physical realities of your life. Perhaps you are to the Jewish people that he's speaking to poor and oppressed, and in need, and constantly worrying about your life day after day, who will be hurt, who will be injured, who will be killed in your family, all of the like. But let me tell you how blessed you are when you realize that nothing in this life ultimately matters, when you empty yourself, when you view yourself properly, rightly just saying it is not the most important, I am not the most important, when we let go of all of our tentacles and all of our deep and firm grip on this world, Jesus says, I will welcome you into the kingdom of heaven, and that kingdom will last for eternity. In that kingdom, there is abundant life. In that kingdom, there is life everlasting. There is joy, and there is peace, and all of the things of this world fade away, and so let me just ask you, friends, do you desire that today? Do you wish that all of the challenges, do you wish that the pandemic and the economy and the election and, and the strife in your family and the struggles in your marriage and the, your, the, the challenges at work, do you wish all of those things would fade away? The answer, the way to have that today is to rightly view yourself and say, I have nothing. Anything that I have is from the Lord, is God's. He is sovereign over it all. And I trust him completely and I just let go of it. I loosen my grip on the things of this world. I let go of it all. It's not mine to deal with. It's not mine to rule over. It's not mine at all. It is the Lord's. And be filled with Christ. And so filled by Christ, welcomed in as citizens of his kingdom, we step forward and live life. And as we are filled by Christ, we will find that we bear much more fruit. Fruit comes as we are filled with his life. Think about your plants. I don't know if your plants are like mine, but they're struggling these days. All of the heat and the problem there is primarily water. And so the water comes up through the plant, it is it is absorbed through the root system, the water comes out and it bears fruit. It, the, the, the plants are filled up with the life that comes from water and then fruit is born as a result of that. And when you remove the water from those plants, then the plants will wither and die and they will not bear fruit. Jesus says if we were filled up by Christ, if our life is found in him, the living waters of his life, that our lives will be filled up with him and we will bear much fruit even in the midst of whatever circumstances life might bring us into. And the challenge that I see so often that uh, that grieves me is how often as Christians, the circumstances of our lives, of this world, of the daily things that we go through, seem to cause us to ebb and flow. This is why God's word says that we are anchored to him. Blessed is the man who meditates on his word day and night. We are anchored. Our life is rooted in him. We, as Ephesians says, we're not tossed to and fro any longer when we find our life in him. Because our root systems are deep. And his work, the fruit of our lives, will be so abundantly clear to the world. So, as we close this morning, I would just invite you. Have you ever truly, completely emptied yourself? Have you acknowledged and recognized the reality of your soul's condition that you have nothing apart from Christ I'm not asking you if you've been in church every day of your life since you were born I'm not asking if you've given enough money to this or that I'm not asking you any of those questions about things that you have done other than saying I rightly view myself as having nothing have you ever found yourself to be truly poor in spirit emptied And if not, perhaps the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you even now through a camera, sitting in the room, speaking to you and saying, you have nothing, friend. And I know all the circumstances of your life look hard. Let those just be a picture of the reality. We have nothing apart from Christ. And Jesus is saying, yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you recognize rightly your emptiness your ability, your inability to fill yourself up. And so I would pray and I would just just ask that you would have a conversation. I've done this a few times, especially in our season of having to have this online. My email is ryan at citychurchmelissa.com. Right now, you can just write me an email saying, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I think I probably should have a conversation. Or the Spirit of God is speaking something to you. Or reach out to a friend. You've got a friend that invited you're sitting with. A mom or a dad or a friend, a neighbor. Have a conversation with them. Realize that the kingdom of God is so much bigger and so much greater than anything that this world can do to us. As I said at the beginning, this will all one day turn to dust. Including all of the pain and suffering that this world can bring. So just rightly view yourself. The reality, what Jesus says is true. We have nothing. That is true. Do we believe it is another question. Or will we keep searching for that extra Lego thinking, oh, I can keep building the plane. I can keep finding my own way. Would you can just confess to Jesus, I have nothing apart from you. And for those of us who at one point in our lives have believed that, understand that, know that to be true, that's the the condition of our souls. I would just ask us to consider, do we have a fruitfulness that testifies that we have emptied ourselves of this world? Or does our life say to our neighbor, yeah, I've got Jesus, but I'm going to keep trying to do everything my own way. I'm going to keep building on my own. I'm going to keep living under my own strength. Do we live as people who are citizens of the kingdom of God, having been emptied of ourselves? And do we let it all go? Our witness to the world is at stake, friends. Be a people. Let us be a people that have emptied ourselves and said, all I have is Christ. All I will proclaim is him and him crucified. That's all I can give you is that Jesus paid it all. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the future of that. All I know is that this is God's kingdom and he rules over it all. Is that the testimony of our lives? That's the fruit that we are called to bear. And that's the fruit of living a life of being poor in spirit, emptied of the world. Let me pray and ask the Spirit to lead us. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for a Savior who came into the world to be with us. And even as he began to preach, he understood the condition of the world. He didn't, he didn't say that we just look the other way, turn a blind eye, forget what is going on. He said, no. Realize that whatever you're dealing with, there is a future kingdom Really, will all fade away. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself, reveal the truth of your word to anyone who is listening, and that today might be the day of salvation where someone, perhaps for the first time, even after being in church every Sunday for 30 straight years of their life, would say, I... I understand, I rightly view my condition. I have nothing. And will they just open their hands before you, Lord Jesus. Open their hearts, their their lives, and be filled with you. With your life, your abundant life. And I pray that you would equip us as your saints, those who have been called by you, called to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to bear the fruit of being filled with your life and your life alone. Empower us to just let go, Lord, of the things of this world. So that our testimony, the witness that we might offer, would be a witness of who you are. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you so much for gathering with us this morning. It's such a joy again to be able to be with you. As we close, I just wanted to um, share two brief announcements, or, or make you aware of two things. And the first is that this evening at seven p.m., um, we're going to gather as a community with other Christ followers, other churches from around our community, to pray uh, over our upcoming school year. And so, I would invite you to just come to Cardinal Stadium tonight at seven p.m. Please wear a mask as you uh, show up there, uh, and we are going to just pray over every campus. This is something that we've done for many years um, in our church and really in our community. And so just want to invite you to be a part of that. And so bring your entire family come tonight uh, at uh, at seven uh, o'clock to be a part of that. And then the last thing is, as I I said this morning, we're so thankful for uh, what God has done here and just the blessedness of this space. I want to invite you to take some time to just pray on the property and thank God for this. And we are also trying to ensure that everyone in our community knows where we are. If you drove here this morning, you know, that we are not right on the main road. And so as a means to that, um, we would love it if you would share the location so you can go down to the new sign at the entrance and pause there, maybe take a photo with your family and share the address or just share the, uh, the video announcement that we made to our community about our property just so that we can begin to spread the word. Um, there are a lot of people we know that know where we are, but there are many who probably don't. And so just as an invitation to our community to come and enjoy uh, this beautiful property in this space, um, we would love it if you could help us do that and just um, letting people know 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane is our new home and address. So thank you so much. It's been a joy to worship with you and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.